Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Ask the Therapist. Lovely to have you here. Today I'm talking with Alex and Lisa, so two guests today. They are from The Sober Experiment, Be Sober. I am very sober curious and I also think that how many of us drink the recommended units of 14 units of alcohol a week? I think many people drink in excess of that that are in that kind of grey area drinking. And as a therapist, I see people who, I think alcohol's the elephant in the room and we don't often touch in it. And that's something that I know next year I'll probably be focusing on a little bit more with my clients. And when this comes out, this will be released in February. I will have done dry January and I kind of have to do it now because Alex and Lisa have said that They want me on their podcast to tell me how it's gone. So they've nailed me down with that one. They run a 30-day sober experiment that's available on their website. I will link to it in the show notes. And I will update you on how I'm going. But this episode is full of advice and brilliant motivation. You are going to want to give 30 days of sober a go after listening to this. Enjoy. So thank you so much both for coming on, Alex and Lisa. Alex, red hair, Lisa, dark hair. Thank you for coming on as a therapist. It's the first time I have interviewed two people. Um, so I don't know how I can get it wrong, but it feels a bit more nerve-wracking than just one. So we'll, we'll see how we get on. So this episode is going to go out when most people will have done dry January. And I'm going to, I didn't know whether to say it on here because I feel like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my birthday is the 25th of January. So I, I always think I'm going to stop from the 1st to the 25th. And the only longest I've ever done is two weeks, which is so embarrassing to say. It's not. It's not. We, we did the same. I never got past the fifth before going sober. No, never. That's nice to know. That's so nice to know. Actually, because we were saying about um, that we both know Ash, um, he recommended a lady called Jackie to me, who's a nutritional therapist in Wilmslow. And again, I went for one or two sessions with her. I think I've been seeing her for about six years now. And she got me to do two weeks once of not drinking. And it was really insightful so I'd love to kind of do the month so I will and if I do I'll come on and do a little update at the end of this um, podcast so lots of people will have done a month of um, no drinking and then they kind of get back to it and I know that that month is really useful for people and it really helps people moderate their drinking for the rest of the year but what do you think from your experience people will be noticing at the end of a month I think there'll be quite a mixture you know okay thinking back to when we used to try and do dry Januaries or sober Octobers there might be lots of people that are listening that are actually really bored and fed up and thinking ah get to February or you know I want to drink now but I think if you really think about it and start to focus on all the benefits and things that have actually happened over the last month you will get a lot more from it that's kind of our top tip usually isn't it to kind of 
see it as an experiment and focus on the benefits rather than just trying to white knuckle um, through it. But I think physically as well, at the end of a month, your liver does actually start to heal and your immune system, which we all need, um, will, will, will pretty much be after a month off back to full health. So that's just some of the physical benefits, never mind all the other ones, but yeah. Sleep. 100% people within the first two weeks, you notice a massive improvement in sleep. And I don't think we know enough as a society about the impact that even moderate alcohol intake has on our sleep. Because what happens is that when you drink alcohol, which is a sedative and a depressant, your body tries to counter that by producing and releasing stimulants. So what happens is in the middle of the night, on the day you've had a drink, and for days afterwards, your body's in an overproductive state of um, having too many stimulants in it, if you like. There's too many floating around. So either that results in having that anxiety that you you, you get, the beer fear, or, or, and or results in poor sleep quality where you're not actually entering proper sleep. You're just unconscious at the beginning of the night and then restless or awake for the end. So if you're even two weeks without any drink, it your, your sleep improves, your sleep cycles fully return to normal. And yeah, and that it takes up to 10 days to do that. So even if you're just a weekly drinker, you never get to the state of proper sleep. One of the things that's been used for me, this last Christmas I got an Aurora ring and it tracks lots of things. But one of the things it tracks is sleep because I, you know, I talk a lot to my clients about sleep. I feel like it's the foundation of really good mental health. And what if I have one alcoholic drink, my heart rate increases and I see that overnight. And that has been one of the biggest shocks for me, think, realizing. And it has because now I don't drink in the week. I drink at the weekend, but I literally one drink and then wait a couple of hours before I go to sleep. Doesn't matter. My heart rate is increased hugely in the start of the night so. I think it's really important to know as well we were weekly drinkers so like even though we are completely sober now we can completely relate to anyone who says well I only drink on a Friday or I only drink on a Saturday because that was us you know we would have well speak for me I would have a bottle of wine on a Friday and a bottle of wine on a Saturday by most people's standards that isn't a heavy drinker yet it was impacting my life so much for days and days afterwards without even realizing it that actually I only realized it was impacting my life once I'd stopped and Lisa says that as well yeah yeah that's so interesting isn't it so lots of people will have done a month been seeing some mixed results and I think it's a great tip what you recommend about people note focusing on the benefits one thing I really recommend is people journal especially they're wanting to make behavior change because and um, whenever I've made changes in my life that's the only way it's been looking back over what I've written over the last few weeks and thinking oh my god otherwise you miss some of the benefits don't you so so at a month the liver started to kind of get back to normal so if people wanted to carry on and we've got I feel like we've got lots of people in a really interesting phase now they've done a month what would they notice if they did another month? Oh, I think there's so much. I think um, skin is a big one, I think. My skin improved so much and my hair was shiny and eyes. We always see, a lot of our members do, before and after pictures. Oh, it's such 
a good idea because honestly, with just a month off, you physically look so different. And one of the biggest things we find is here around people's eyes, but sparkling all in the eyes, such a difference. But hair growth. Nails. Nails, yeah. And for me personally, the reduced anxiety massively. And can I ask what's often maybe maybe important for women is that I I mean I didn't notice for myself and with clients that have that have a break from alcohol that they expect this really um, weight loss really quickly. And so I did two weeks and didn't and the calories that I wasn't having and I stopped for two weeks and not a bloody pound did drop from my hips. I put on weight. I actually put on weight, to be honest. I did. In the first year, I put on weight. And the reason that I put on weight is because what I found was I started to replace that weekend habit with eating sweets or having takeaways because I started to get in the mindset of, well, what am I going to have as a treat now? So it's really important that if you want to lose weight, that you're not not just relying on cutting alcohol. Some people do. Many people do, actually. Many people just do lose weight but not everybody does. And if you're just doing it for weight loss, you might find that you're going to be disappointed because it's still about calories in versus calories out. So keep your eye on that. It's the sugar as well, I think people miss, especially if people are nightly drinkers and having a couple of glasses each night. It's that sugar craving. So I think stocking up on really healthy, and you know, people do this at this time of year anyway, but stocking up on healthy snacks rather than reaching the donuts or chocolate buttons Alex <laughs> <laughs> chocolate buttons and a cup of tea oh my god <laughs> although you know what if you're gonna put on a little bit of weight but get all the amazing benefits of not drinking I, it's really really worth it it is yeah it's worth a few pounds it is worth it and the thing is what what you gain in weight you also gain in energy or what you don't lose in weight you gain in energy so Actually, even though I did put on weight, I had the energy and motivation to do something about it. And, and you know, you're not waking up on a Monday just that little bit tired or just that little bit below par. You're good to go all week. It's like you like the, you remember that book? Was it the Ever Ready Bunny, was it called? <laughs> yeah. That Ever Ready Bunny, you really are. You're just full of energy all the time. I think we're a bit too much for people sometimes, sober people. <laughs> I know. I want to add about Mondays because, you know, that's one of the biggest things. When I used to drink, Monday would come and I'd be like, oh, I've got work and Monday's always rubbish. There's a lot of Mondays, right, in your life. <laughs> so we might as well enjoy them. And I think Mondays now are genuinely really enjoyable. I don't ever mourn about going into work. You know, we have B-Fit sessions at 6.30 a.m. which <laughs> on a Monday and we actually get up and want to be there. It's amazing. Yeah. When I had that two weeks off, I, what I noticed is I actually started to sleep less because I, I didn't need it. Yeah, so I think the quality of sleep was a lot better. So I was going to bed at, kind of going to sleep at 11, but I was up at half six. Just going back to sleep again as well. Like A lot of people will say, I'm, I just have one to help me get to sleep okay so it's what happens is that your body starts to rely on that drink to be the knockout and it stops producing its own melatonin so at the beginning don't be surprised if you find it harder to get to sleep as well that's another thing but after a few weeks that recovers so just bear with it 
That's really interesting. Thank you. And one of the things I years ago, my background's in mental health nursing. So I have worked in kind of alcohol units and stuff. And 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 it's years ago, it was probably very out of date. Now, what we used to sometimes recommend was people have orange juice at night because some of it's the sugar craving, which I know you've just said that would at least it's not alcohol, but it's still loads of sugar. Is some of the kind of wanting a drink actually wanting sugar, do you think? I think in the beginning, no. In the beginning, th there is a genuine, if not um, a physical dependency, an emotional dependency. So if you're used to winding down with a drink, it's how do I get to a place where I now wind down without something doing it for me? So at the beginning, I think there's a genuine craving for that feeling. But after, if you're still finding that after a week, then it's not that. Because once the alcohol's out of your system, it is habits, it is sugar, it is other things. So it's that's why it's so important for us that you don't just grip on like you were describing with willpower, but you actually do something about your mindset and you learn and you do a little bit of self-development. If people have done a dry January and they want to carry on, for another 30 days, we actually have a free sober experiment on our website. We'll give you the link for it. And you can do 30 days, the little short videos. It's us too, so as long as you don't mind us popping in every day. They're literally three to five minutes of task length. And it's every day you get a video that works on your mindset. So you're learning things about yourself. You're learning things about your mindset. You're learning things about your habits. The alcohol industry gives you something to focus on. Oh, amazing. And that'd be, well, I might share this in kind of, because I'll be kind of probably sharing that I'm doing it. So I'll share it in my emails and stuff to give, and I'll just put a link in the show notes. That's fantastic. What was the turning point for you both to kind of stop drinking finally? People always think we did it together because kind of, well, we started Be Sober and the Spot and Our Sober Experiment podcast together. So, and we do it together now. I suppose. It was me that went first and I was genuinely just sick and tired of feeling sick and tired every single Monday morning. So I wasn't an everyday drinker. It had crept in a little bit in the week. I'd, you know, I'd sneak a white wine Wednesday in or Thursday, Thursday, Thursday now and again. <laughs> I could find an excuse if I wanted, but it was, it was mainly weekends and I would class myself as a binge drinker. I'd got um, quite a lot going at home. I was in a really unhealthy relationship. I had three teenagers living at home that were having all their own wild issues at that time. And what I found that I was doing, instead of kind of showing up and facing up to them, when it came to a weekend, I was kind of racing through the week to get to a weekend to get a glass of wine or go out with my friends to just switch off from it all. And I was using my weekends to escape the reality of what was going on at home and personally I'd gone out on a Sunday for a Sunday tea and woke up with the most horrific hangover ever I didn't make it to work on that Monday and I ran my own business so it's not good when you can't even show up for your own business is it and that that was a turning point for me I'd heard a few people that had stopped drinking it had always fascinated me because I'd never even drank I'd never even thought about it it never occurred to me that I would not drink because it was all I knew it was what I knew how to socialize it was what I knew how to release my anxiety and the pressures so yeah on that Monday I downloaded um, an audible book called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober 
And literally, there were a few kind of like, oh my God, that's me. Things that I wouldn't really admit to and things that had never really occurred to me before. And that kind of thing, she talks in there about doing a hundred days, taking a hundred days off to really start to feel the benefits. And I'd never really completed 30 days. And if I had, I'd like whinged and moaned my whole way through. But that morning I put on my social media, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do 100 days. And if it was on my social media, I was doing it. Just like you, Sarah, you've put this out there now, so you've got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> there was no going back. And during that time, I kind of immersed myself into there's a whole sober community out there, which I never even knew existed. People won't know it existed and the amazing thing is it's what I would class and I don't I shouldn't really use this word but as as normal people people like like what I felt like I was and they were stopping drinking just because they were fed up of it or so that was kind of my turning point that I needed to show up for me I needed to show up for my kids and to be more present and I thought I'll just give it a hundred days Fantastic. And what about you, Alex? So it's a little bit complicated, mine. So mine was a whole year later than Lisa's. So we've been best friends, for anyone who doesn't know or doesn't know our story, we've been best friends since the beginning of high school, which is over 30 years now. So we'd done everything together. We'd have gaps in our friendship. We'd been out together. We'd been mums. We'd got married. We'd got divorced. Everything kind of together. And... Lisa told me she'd stop drinking. And of course, I just thought, oh, this won't last. You know, we'll be out again in a few weeks. She's only doing 100 days. It's fine. I can get through it. <laughs> I can get through it. <laughs> but in the, in the meantime, unfortunately, so, so Lisa stopped in the July. And in the October, I had a miscarriage at just over 12 weeks. And I found out at my scan. And I was up. My drinking had already increased prior to that, prior to even being pregnant point where I'd actually had quite a big argument with my husband one night and he'd said I'm sick of you like getting aggressive in drink and I said verbally aggressive so I said right I'll stop then so I decided to stop drinking but didn't for one minute believe I would it was just to pacify him until it passed and it was all all right again and then literally within the week of saying I was stopping I found out I was pregnant so it kind of took away any work I needed to do on myself because I just thought, well, I'd never drunk in my pregnancy. So I was like, right, I'm fine. I, I can just be pregnant now. And by the end of the pregnancy, I'll be all right to start drinking again. Anyway, three months in, I had the miscarriage. And it was like a switch. I literally went from being what I would consider a reasonably okay drinker into quite a dangerous drinker. So I wasn't drinking every morning or anything like that. But I was completely drowning my sorrows with it. I had the scan on the Friday and as soon as they told me that there was no heartbeat, I went straight to the pub and got on the wine that day. Didn't even wait for the surgery. So it was already really unhealthy. Anyway, fast forward and it wasn't getting any better. And I had developed um, a diagnosed anxiety disorder and depression. And I was literally at a point where I hated being alive. That's the truth. I hated being alive. I was having nightmares. I was waking up in the morning and just not wanting to be uh, I was in a really bad way and Lisa came round to my house kind of May June time and I just was I was in such a bad way you know and she just said come on let's go for a walk 
and we went out for a walk and she just said, why don't you just take a little break from drinking and just see if we can get you back to a place where you can work on yourself? After 30 days, I felt like everything was so much better and my anxiety got so much better. Why don't you just take a break? So I kind of dwelled on that for a little while. And then like Lisa, I woke up with another really bad hangover in June, phoned her up and said, I'm going to do it. So I did 30 days and just like Lisa, well within the 30 days, because I was doing the work, I knew I'd never go back. Right. Wow. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So have there been times where it's got tricky? It sounds like you started with this huge motivation, but then life can happen or I mean, it's socially one of the things that is so socially unacceptable, isn't it? There's so much. I mean, I think it's appalling, really. It's getting better. There are, you know, and I, I love that there's lots of young people kind of being sober now. And, it, you know, the, but I was kind of brought up in the 70s where the box of wine from France. Queen's in the, the bag out at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's my background. It was it was really glamorous. But when I look back on pictures of my mum drinking now, she was drinking a 125 ml glass of probably 11% wine. And now you can pretty much fit a bottle of 13% in the glass. I mean, it's just changed, but hopefully attitudes are changing. What? How did you manage the tricky times where you were like, oh, I just want to drink? For me, it's not really tricky times so much. As um, Are we allowed to swear on your podcast? Go for it, yeah. It's like that. It's, it's like those moments of fuck it. Do you know those moments of just fuck it? Like, like literally, if something's going wrong, or um, you just have a little moment where you take your eye off the ball, or you just think, "Oh, I hate everything." Just those moments you get, it might be fleeting that I could just have a drink now. And I think that I, I, I'll say this for both of us, and then if there's anything to add, but we've got each other now. And having other people who do this, whether that be a community or a friend or somebody you can talk to, really keeps you accountable. So through those moments, it, and we do get them, and they're, they're fleeting and they're rare, but we would get on the phone to each other and say, oh, my God, I could just have a drink now. And the other one would say, well, you're not going to, are you? And it's like, well, no, I'm not. But, you know, so I think I think top tip for me there is having people to depend on and that they don't have to be people you know that can be the community that can be the support group that can be Instagram but having people who just get where you're at is really useful I think it's important to say like you did then Alex about the community people that haven't stopped or have never stepped foot into something like what we offer sometimes have this vision that there's a lot of ex-alcoholics sat there talking about the old days or whatever and it's just not like that it's that moment of actually like Alex said having somebody to talk to that just gets it that you can literally say oh my gosh me too and that was my biggest thing especially in the beginning I was in a Facebook group and when I ever got tempted because I didn't have Alex when I stopped and in truth it was a really lonely place really lonely I found because all my family drank all my friends drank I didn't know what else to do so it was yeah. difficult so when I had difficult times they would be because I was probably because I was lonely and if I did go to a pub or a bar I didn't feel like I really fitted in with my people anymore then as time has gone on what I realized is I was drinking to fit in anyway and they genuinely weren't my people but that's been kind of a long process coming but loneliness I think so 
like Alex says, get a community, whether that be online. And Sarah, you touched on it before about journaling made such a huge difference, just writing it down and getting it out there. I wrote so many blog posts, many of which I didn't actually publish, but just to get it from out of my head onto a screen or into a book massively helped. Fantastic. That's really great advice. Thank you. And we touched on some a lot of the physical benefits and some around anxiety and depression before. But I, th- I think, you know, I'm a therapist. I say I do lots of one-to-one therapy. And I think, is thera- you know, drinking so normalised. Sometimes we don't touch on kind of how much are you drinking and think about the impact on mental health. But my sense is like, you know, most people are drinking over the recommended, is it 14 units a week now? So it's likely to be having a huge impact on people's mental health. And we should be kind of looking at it a lot more as therapists. What were the kind of key benefits with your mental health? For me, definitely less anxiety. I would have what we would call anxiety. So I would wake up on a Sunday morning or Monday and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that or I can't believe I did that. But what I found was that was actually leading into the week and I never realised, I just thought I was quite an anxious person. So if I got a phone call off a number that I didn't know, I'd be worried to pick my phone up. Even at work, you know, having to make phone calls, I'd have to really build myself up to do it. So I just thought I was anxious all of the time. And when I stopped drinking, that for me, and it doesn't for everybody and it really doesn't, but that for me just kind of completely disappeared in the week. I still have nervous moments and I would say I had social anxiety, you know, when I'm going into situations with lots of people, I get really nervous. But in the week, I'm absolutely fine. So much more confident as well, I think. Yeah, mine was the opposite. So I'd had this, bearing in mind, I'd been diagnosed with anxiety and depression and it actually got 100 times worse before it got better because um, when I cut out when I cut out the alcohol, I wasn't even taking the edge off anything anymore. So you were feeling it all? really feeling it and my body also wasn't making the right chemicals to be able to counter anything that was going on so my anxiety actually really really spiked for about I think it took about three months for me to really start to feel the benefits of that but once I did it is gone I'm off medication I don't need any intervention at all and the biggest benefit for me is I can recognize it now. So obviously, if you've, if you've got clinical anxiety or clinical depression, it doesn't just go away. It's not just like, I'll oh, take a pill and it'll be fixed. Without that medication, I do have moments where I can feel myself slumping, but I can feel myself slumping. I didn't have that awareness before. So now, before I get into a state of being in a really bad place I'll recognize it and I have the tools to be able to pull myself around or to sort of go to a therapist and say I need some help I can feel that this is affecting me or can I have some coaching I can feel that this is affecting me before I didn't know that it, I just felt bad all the time yeah is it's interesting that maybe a lot of us think it's just who we are and actually it could be drinking. It is that. And I think, you know, we, t- we talked before about the physical and the recommended units and all that, but even within the recommended limits, you are going to exp- – this is not just made up in our opinion. You will experience some impact on your nervous system because if you're putting 
any amount of depressant into your body, any amount, then your body will try and counter that with stimulants. So it's always going to end up that you've got some level of anxiety afterwards, even if it's not a disorder. Yeah, it's a poison at the end of the day, isn't it? You're putting poison into your body. Yeah. It is, yeah. We try not to say that too early on in a podcast, Sarah, because it frightens people. After a few months, we're like, you know, it's just a well-marketed poison, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) And did you either have any coaches or therapists that you work with? I mean, you've touched on kind of having a community and how important that is. Did you have any kind of one-to-one therapy or coaching? You know, at the beginning, I've never actually spoke about this because I I don't know why I forgot. But I would, when I first stopped drinking, I was saying before about my teenagers and I was going through quite a lot with um, my youngest daughter. So with that, we spent quite a bit of time at CAMS and we had um, got a lot of what she was going through. And I, when I was kind of sat there listening with her, it massively, massively helped me on my on my journey. In fact, I did realise we were talking about this before, weren't we, Alex? But I 100% think I've got adult ADHD. But that's since stopping stopping drinking, that like, that's come to yeah. life. But by sitting in these situations with my daughter, that kind of helped a lot. But I've not actually seen a therapist. Alex and I are both qualified coaches, so we've kind of coached ourselves, haven't we? And you know what? We're still sober, so I reckon we're pretty good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and similar to Lisa, I was having therapy because of the miscarriage, but never, ever put two and two together with the alcohol. I actually stopped drinking while I was still seeing her, and um, she was really very um, encouraging about me carrying on with that but it wasn't ever suggested in my therapy. And I think what you said before about, you know, talking about the impact of alcohol in therapy, we need to get the two married up. We really do, don't we? It's kind of the elephant in the room. It's so normalised. It's the only drug that's really socially acceptable, isn't it? Well, it's a funny one because, you know, if you do see one, one of our members is a GP and she said that one of the things that stopped her recommending it to other people to cut down on their drinking is because she thought what a hypocrite I go home after work and have a glass of wine so you know it's that as well yeah of course absolutely so uh, you're both coaches then what would be the five most helpful things you'd recommend people think about if they're they're thinking of kind of keeping off the booze or gonna from listening to this gonna think about having a break either 30 days or 100 we're gonna have to start I think with to commit to 30 days and you know what give our sober sober experiment a go because making that firm commitment kind of tells you that you're good at keeping commitments and you will you will stay sober for that 30 days and I think what we've touched on is working on the mindset please don't white knuckle it and just wait for the end of the month to come because you're going to just have a rubbish wasteful month see it as an experiment see who you are without drink see how you react in situation you know if you've got a party coming up or a birthday Sarah then you know when when did we last have a sober birthday? What was I like? How did I act on that? What did I do instead? You know, I think just seeing it as an experiment is my number one top tip. Brilliant. Read and listen to things to educate yourself is our number two. So 
There's loads of podcasts out there. I was included. There's loads of audio books. So if you if you don't want to sit and read, most of the quit lit, the quit the quit lit are just the literature that people help you to quit with. There's so many good books out there. So just a couple of our top ones are Claire Poulet, The Sober Diaries. That's more of a memoir style. Lotta Dan, Mrs. D's Going Without. There is William Porter, Alcohol Explained. I think they're our top three, aren't they, really? I think as well, I've got mindfulness and working out what your triggers are for drinking. If you can just take some time to kind of sit back, have a think, why do I drink? And when, and get a plan ready for that. And I'm a sucker for gratitude. I know not everybody loves this, but the science behind it, really good science behind it, increasing your mood. There's evidence in it. Yeah, definitely. I think focusing on gratitude. That's one of the things when I talk about journaling is that I recommend people do gratitude because sometimes, especially if our mood is low, we can go into this right quite negative stuff and kind of spiral down and always finishing journaling with some gratitude can really kind of counteract that using little techniques like halt so checking in with yourself when you do get a craving don't automatically assume it's a craving so halt is hungry angry lonely tired they're, they're four of the top triggers if you can check in whether you're hungry or thirsty or whether you're emotional or whether you're just feeling you need some connection or whether you're tired it can stop you automatically jumping in to take a drink so have a little self-check in a little word with yourself and i suppose that's really what lisa said about mindfulness as well and write down all the, oh, we could go on forever. Write down all the reasons that you do enjoy drinking. So, you know, like a for and against list. Yeah, pros and cons kind of thing. Yeah. But not yet, like be honest with yourself. Like, what do you love about drinking? Because I think sometimes, and then do that at the beginning and do it at the end because people must like it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. So, there's obviously reasons. And I think when you can look at them reasons, You'll work out your whys, which I think is very, very important. That's great. And can I just ask, when you do you go into social situations now? Do you go into pubs and stuff? Do you what do you drink? It depends where you're going. You know, some some bars, especially around Manchester city centre, are actually pretty good. Like there's a place called Dishoom that has a full sobriety menu. They have, you know, which is amazing. And you can get like non-alcoholic es espresso martinis and cocktails and non-alcoholic beers. There's Prosecco now. But not a lot of places have it. Like I was at a Christmas do in a hotel. And when I asked what the non-alcoholic alternatives were, it was like Coke and lemonade. That was it. And, you know, we still want to feel like a grown-up when we're going in. <laughs> Don't give me a plastic cup with a bit of orange juice in it. But I think if there isn't an alternative, um, a really good trick is to get something like a tonic water or a lemonade or whatever, but make them dress it up like they would a gin yeah. tea. Get it in a nice glass. Tell them you don't want the little tumbler thing. You want a nice big glass. You want some ice. You want some lemon. You want it to look fruity. Just feeling the part can actually make you act the part. Like we, we've been clubbing, we've been for brunches, we've been to restaurants, I've been to parties, we've both done weddings, we've both done holidays. There really isn't anything that you can't do. It, I think the thing is, it just takes longer. So whereas you might, you know, if you think about when you were a kid and you went to a birthday party, you know that moment where you're clinging onto your parents' leg and you don't want to go and then once you've done it, you're all right. It's like that when you're sober. So you watch everyone dancing and you have to build yourself up to it. 
don't expect that you're going to be the life and soul of the party on your very first sober night because you're not it feels weird at first i think that's that's the truth like if you've not got something that's loosening you up it it takes a bit of time to relax into it you know what as well don't you might realize that you actually don't like going out and that's all right (laughs) (laughs) no it's true I found like I was the life and soul of everywhere I went I was the first one to the bar and the last one home so everybody thought I was a party animal and actually what I found since I've stopped drinking is I love being at home I love doing normal things and I find so much joy in just ordinary stuff and that's all right. You don't have to be the centre of attention or a party animal. It's okay to enjoy sitting there with a cup of tea. And if other people think that's boring, well, stuff them. They're going to have an hangover the next day. You're not. And I know whenever I go out and I drive, which I don't mind doing, it's quite quickly you see people's behaviour deteriorate just so quickly, don't you? You just think, I'm so glad I'm not drinking. <laughs> it can motivate you to keep up. We love pissed people watching, in a non-judgy way, of course, but we do, don't we? It's cringy because you're like, oh my gosh, that was me. You know, I went to a concert once and there was a there was a girl in front of me and honestly, I cringed the whole time, but not for her in any way, but because all I could think was, that was me. Like, how did I think that people couldn't hear me or see me? <laughs> it's like you have these blinkers on, isn't it? Have you ever gone out and then gone to the bar to, if you forgot something, you've gone to pick up your coat the next day? And I've thought, God, this tiny. Everybody must have heard everything I said. It's awful. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, you shared such great advice. I'm sure everybody that's just done dry January is going to go for another 30 days. Now, the question I ask all my guests is kind of what would you say to your 15-year-old selves? And I'm just aware, did you know each other at 15? Yeah, yeah, we did. So what would you say to yourselves if you could go back to that younger version of yourself? Do you know, most people expect me to say here, don't start drinking, and I genuinely wouldn't say that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I genuinely wouldn't change my drinking days because I had a laugh. I did. I had a laugh. I had some awful times, but I also had a laugh. But what I would say is that to trust your gut, because I remember the peer pressure of starting drinking and I didn't want to start drinking. I really didn't want to start drinking when I did. Um, So I I think to my 15-year-old self, that's what I would say is not don't do this and don't do that, but just trust your instincts and have the confidence to stand by what you want. Because that I, I just wish I hadn't have given in so easily because maybe I wouldn't have started drinking. and that. I wouldn't say don't, like I say, but I don't think I'd have chosen to start drinking if I'd have really listened to myself. I didn't like the idea of it. So trust myself, listen to yourself, and and it is going to be all right. I just said, don't be friends with Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> bad influence. <laughs> it's true, by the way. Everything Lisa ever started out as a bad behaviour, I instigated, so. <laughs> she did. I I would really say um, is that I, I tell myself that I'm not the only person that feels the way that I do. I would tell myself to be less afraid and not worry too much about what people think or say. And a big one I tell myself is to not be afraid of silence. And then I've, I've tell myself, Lord, I'd have like, I'd write myself a book actually, 
I would write myself and do it this way, but yeah, top tips to get through your life, Lisa. <laughs> um, another one, and I know it's really cliche, but is to is to genuinely just be yourself, and you will attract the right type of people because it because it really is enough. And I think I've spent so much of my life trying to fit into situations that I've not felt comfortable in because I've been so frightened to just be myself. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And can you tell us about your community and you, you've got a podcast and where people can find you and be a part of everything you're doing? Alex is good at this bit. So before she does, can I just say honestly, Sarah, yeah. thank you so much for having us and being able, we'd love spreading the word about sobriety and honest to God, it is the best thing that's ever, ever, ever happened to me. And when people listen, the, we never knew we'd get sober and people used to laugh at us all the time, didn't they, Alex, when they realised that we were sober. But it has changed my life so much for the better, every single part of it. And I just want people to know that they can do it even on the days they think they can. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. What she said. Um, yeah, so you can find, I think the best place to start, we're on Instagram at besober.cic. So if you just want a little distance nosy, have a look at us there. Everything we do is on our website, which is www.b, as in the buzzy bee, besoberofficial.com. And that's got links to everything. And I think the, the podcast can be found on there as well. Tiny bit of background about that. The, the podcast is called The Sober Experiment because that's how we saw our journey then. And it's how we still see our journey now. Everything we do every single day is an experiment. And if you can keep open-minded all along the way and just see what things are like like Lisa said you've got much more chance of being successful but everything we're on all the major platforms um for podcasts and our community you can get involved by basically joining our free support group on Facebook following us on Instagram or we do have a subscription monthly membership if you want to actually join the community and you're ready to take the plunge which is amazing, really safe, and it genuinely is amazing. And the reason we do monthly is all the money goes back into the community. We're a CIC, which not many people realise, so we have to charge for that monthly subscription, but it all goes back in, and when people need coaching or counselling, we can kind of help fund that within the community sometimes as well. Oh, what's a CIC, just to educate me on that? It's a community interest company, so it's, it's a non-profit organisation, so any, any profit goes back into the company and into the community. Right, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so motivated. I feel like I've had like a fantastic coaching session and I've started listening to your podcast and I will be on it in January because I really enjoyed it and I think, you know, at those times where maybe it might get tricky, I'm going to put on a um an episode i listened to the one where you interviewed a rock star from america oh yeah i know like who knew we'd be doing that we were we were a pair of piss heads in the pub at a weekend and now we're interviewing rock stars from america it's amazing <laughs> we've interviewed a hollywood star as well love and sex addict brianne davis that was a good and and somebody on death row yeah we've had some really amazing opportunities so yeah have a little listen there's some really exciting i will fantastic gosh i need to up my game <laughs> thank you so much i've really enjoyed it <laughs> oh thanks sarah thank you for having us 
thank you for listening to Ask a Therapist. For more information about the CBT Journal, visit my website at saradreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts, and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast, and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Rees, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.